The theme through all these scriptures today is about conversion. And uh, um, it, it is really the central uh, reality of our life as Christians. We're, we're meant to always go through deeper and deeper conversion. Uh, we're never completely converted. Um, I'm convinced on my deathbed, I'm going to be lying there and the nurse will come in and nurses don't get mad at me, but one more time to, to uh, say, Father Perry, you're all right? And I'm going to be so bothered. I'm going to say, would you just leave me alone? And I'm going to die. And, and my last words will be this grumpy, uh, crabby, impatient man. I, I hope not. But uh, otherwise, conversion should be going on all the time. So in the first reading, we have this uh, passage from Ezekiel. And it's, it's, it's this really blunt, blunt uh, description of it. It says, if the, if the, the uh, man who is good, the, the, the virtuous man, turns away from virtue and does evil, he shall surely die. But if the man who uh, is evil or does evil turns away, converts, and does good, he will surely live. Now, let me caution you. Don't blame this on God, for God's sake. I, it just kills me when I hear people say, well, God punished you. Uh, for that matter, it kills me to hear you say, well, Satan made me do it. The devil made me do it. Please, we make choices. And the choices we make depend on the condition of our spirit. But what I think it says is true, that when virtuous people begin to do evil and sin and get, get stuck in sin, um, there is a death that happens. Sometimes it's physical because they make really wrong choices. But it's a dying spirit, a, a dying of their goodness. And on the other hand, when a person in, in the gospel says, uh, tax collectors and prostitutes face their sinfulness and then begin to make change and become good, they find life. And that is the most basic understanding of conversion. The second reading is much more theological, but it's, it's almost like a hymn. It is so beautiful and eloquent. It talks about a, a kind of a deconversion. Uh, God in the person of Christ, the Word, the Word made flesh, emptied himself of his godliness and took on the form of a slave, entered into our humanity. And then the real conversion begins to take place. He emptied himself. He emptied himself and became obedient to death, even to death on the cross. But that conversion experience of emptying self, I, I like this expression that uh, Father Richard Rohr gives. He has a, a book, a series, and, and an audio on the true self and the false self. And he says the true self, we know when we listen carefully, deep inside. The true self knows uh, the difference between good and bad. The true self is the self that knows that I am okay with my God and my God loves me. And we should always attempt, I, I think in prayer and in silence, that's what we try to get down to the true self and recognize our goodness in the eyes of God. Nobody can take that from us. So if people don't like us and they judge us, they condemn us and whatever, uh, put us down, uh, mock us, you know, it's the false self that, that gets bothered. It's the self on the surface, you know, you have to love me, you have to like me. Well, you don't have to like me. The true self is content and peaceful with God. But it's the false self on the outside where our ego gets involved. 
and we often uh, are defensive and then we pay back and all of that nonsense. And so that part, the false self, if it dies little by little uh, in our lifetime and we connect more deeply like the virtuous man or woman deep inside with our God, uh, it's that dying to the false self and that connecting with the true self that, that is the conversion process that really gives us life and, and uh, empowers us. But in the gospel today, uh, there's a real obvious conversion in this example that Jesus gives. And Jesus is a great teacher. He just amazes me. Makes me think, first of all, of, uh, of a homily that I heard Bishop Ward give when I was in the seminary about 50 years ago in the college. Uh, he loved sports, Bishop Ward, and he loved um, Newt Rockney and Notre Dame. And Newt Rockney was the, the big coach of Notre Dame. And so he told this story in college. I never forgot it. He said that uh, one day they were playing a game, Notre Dame, and they were losing. And, and Newt Rockney was upset, and he was uh, pacing back and forth and looking at his team and pacing back and forth. Finally, he just got tired of it, and, and he said, I'll, I don't know what the numbers were, but he said, 72, come out of there. And then he looks on the bench and says, 34, can you get in there and do something? He said, he gets all proud and happy, he jumps up and says, I'll try, coach, sit down. He said, he's trying. I don't need another trier, I need a doer. Now that's conversion. When we recognize that we need to do something, do the right thing, have to finally pour ourselves into it. So here we have Jesus give this example. And of course, he's trying always to convert the Pharisees and the elders, the scribes. He's trying to get them to see that they have to be different. Stop judging. So he gives them an example. He says, I have a question for you. So this man goes up to his first son, says, son, go out to the vineyard and work today. And he says, I will not. But afterward, he feels badly, and he thinks about it. He goes through a little conversion real rapidly, and he goes out and works in the field. Then he goes to the good son and says, I want you to go out in the field and work. He says, yes, sir, I'll go. And then he doesn't. Now, I don't want any hands, but think of your kids. Which ones were which? Which ones, uh, when you ask them to do something, it's always the same. Oh, why do I have to do it? I do everything around here. Why don't you ask my sister? That's not fair. It's just not fair, Mom. It's not fair. And then they go do it. And you know they're going to do it, but you have to always listen to that little nonsense. And then you get the ones, that, the good ones, supposedly. Oh, sure, Mom, I'll do it. And then they go out and do something else. How, may, how are we? <laughs> Think of ourselves. What part is stronger in us? The yeah, I'll do it, but I don't. And, and that's talking about a simple task, but what about the deeper issues of our faith and our, our moral behavior and our attitudes? Do we hear the word of God and say, yes, Lord, but don't really go through any change? Personally, I think the Jews were, in the scriptures, an example of the older son or the first son. You know, always complaining to God. And I don't think it's a bad thing to complain to God. Catholics get all nervous about it. God, I'm mad at you. I'm angry at you. Why'd you let that happen? How come all these fires, God, do something? <gasps> Father Perry, you shouldn't talk like that to God. But the Jews did it all the time. They're out in the desert wandering after they've been freed from the slavery of Egypt. And uh, they start 
complaining to Moses, you should have just left us in Egypt to die there. At least we would have food. We're starving out here. We don't have anything. What's wrong with you? Tell your God to do something. So Moses says, oy vey. And he talks to God and says, oh, please, Lord, they're going to kill me. They're complaining so much. Give them some food. So he says, I'll rain down bread from heaven. He sends the manna down. And every morning they get up and collect this manna, this hoarfrost, this stuff that looks like snow, and they eat it, and they're happy for a while. Until they start complaining again. We're tired of this manna. Would you give us some meat, something good? For God's sake. So Moses goes back to God and complains again. God says, I'll send them quail in the camp. So the quail come through, they kill the quail, and they roast the meat, and they're happy for a time until they're complaining about the lack of water. So they go back again. Every time they complain, they gripe, they get angry at God, and God's not bothered. God's God. God's big. God doesn't worry. God's true self. God is God. God is love. He doesn't, he doesn't fall apart when we complain. But when we do do that, when we complain or we're frustrated or we're angry or we, we don't like what we hear in God's word or we, we don't like that inner true self that's telling us something, you know, that, that inner self where we know right from wrong but we want the wrong. And, but when we go through conversion, and here's the hope, that we will let this deeper, truer self direct us and call us and help us to conform or confirm the good that we know deep inside. Sad. The scribes and Pharisees, the elders, couldn't do it. The elders of, the, of their church, of the synagogue, the elders, the ones who were supposed to have it together, the ones who were experienced, where wisdom was supposed to lie. All they did was criticize John. But who went through conversion? The tax collectors and the prostitutes. The unclean people. They were the ones who heard a truth in John and his preaching and it moved them deep, deep, deep within. I had a retreat yesterday for the catechists and, and uh, I said, and I believe it, that the posture that we have to have before God that's most important is listening. Why do you think we have two ears and one mouth? Hello? So we listen twice as much as we talk. I don't follow that. I'm talking all the time. But, but it's true. And it's not just listening with these ears. It's listening with the ears of the heart. And, and I think that every time that we have any experience that there's a negative fringe around it, we need to take that to the heart. And I think we need to expose it to God. God, what do you think of this? God, what do you think of my attitude right now? God, what do you think of the way I'm acting with this person or that person? What do you think of what I'm doing with my life, God, or not doing with it? What do you think? And if we listen with our heart at that place, at that space, in those things, I am convinced the true stuff, the true self will come alive and it will, it will truly give us life.